listening to Symmetry Health 360. This episode is brought to you by Symmetry Talent Solutions, the industry-leading healthcare recruitment and executive search firm dedicated solely to home health, hospice, and behavioral health. Today's episode is hosted by Eric Scharber, Managing Principal and Senior Vice President of Talent Solutions, and Wayne Regan, Director Interim Management. Join them for this episode, Creative Solutions for Healthcare Leadership Shortages, Part 1. I'll let them take it from here. Thanks, Susan. We're happy to be here. This is fun for us to do our first podcast together, Wayne. I know this should be an easy conversation. Wayne and I go back a long ways. And I mean, there's been dozens and dozens of times where we've sat and talked about talent, whether it was in the office, whether it was on a video call, or sometimes even enjoying an adult beverage at a conference. And we've been able to share lots of ideas with ourselves and others through the years. So it's fun to kind of do this formally as a podcast. So yeah, I'm Eric Sharp. I'm a managing principal here at Symmetry. Wayne Regan and I work together on the talent team. I'll let him introduce himself to you guys in a few minutes, helping our clients with all their talent solutions and have done this for a long time. And so what we thought about today is that we'd come and and share a few ideas with you all on on topics that's really hot. It's all about workforce these days and and how we can help our clients and, and how our clients can help themselves to overcome these workforce challenges that everybody has seen. So Wayne, you want to take a minute and introduce yourself and your background a little bit? Absolutely. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, Wayne Regan, Managing Director here at Symmetry. I've been in the industry, I hate to say it, almost 30 years in home health, hospice, palliative care, private duty. As Eric said, we've got, I think, a ton of time spent managing, assisting clients with their talent solutions. And I think what we've done is really create solutions, just that. You know, it's it's a lot of what we do is do a lot of discovery. And, and as Eric said, we've been on calls together so many times, just understanding what the client's needs are, understanding what level of position they need, and really crafting that kind of a solution for them. And the depth and breadth that we get into it is pretty unique, I think, because really understand the industry and we understand because we've been there, done that. And I think that's a big part of what you know we bring to folks and how we craft those solutions for folks. And Eric, your team does a, an enormous workload in getting that talent. That's a good point. So obviously, so Wayne, you've been in the industry a long time and you've seen a lot of changes. And obviously, so Wayne was an operator, right? He ran a big organization and now we're lucky enough to have him at Symmetry and he runs our interim management team. But I'm curious what your viewpoint, and I'll share mine obviously as well, but how things have changed as far as how you find talent. You know, I mean, think yeah. about it. I, I even love to hear a little bit of the story of what it was like, what the challenges were, 10 plus years ago when you were doing it as an operator leading a large organization. And then nowadays leading our interim management team and we're having to find talent to go help our clients, you know, how do you do that? What do you, what do you kind of advice do you have for people out there that are sitting in that operator's chair and and, and trying to find the good people to come be parts of their team? You know, that's a good point. I think what we had previous is that we had time, time to help emerging leaders get to that next level. We were able to give them the coaching, the mentoring that they could get to. There were other resources that were available for folks. And now we're just seeing that speed of delivery that folks need to get up to because changes are occurring so frequently at this point now. And getting that to the level that you really need them to be at is difficult. So my experience was that we've had the ability to coach and train folks up and get them to where they need to be to guide and lead organizations. KPIs are a big part of what we do, you know, our, our key performance indicators. 
But I like this. I saw it just the other day. Keep people informed. Mm. Keep people involved. Keep people interested. Keep people inspired. And that's a big part of what we need to do nowadays, I think, Eric. Yeah. And so how we find people. And if, as I think back, I started my firm back in 2005. And his search firm focuses solely on home health, hospice, home care, behavioral health. It was so different in 2005 to call it even like 2015 as far as finding talent. Wayne, that's a great point The time. You used to feel like if you had to go find somebody, you had a little bit of time to find them. Or if you were internally just trying to build somebody up, you had time. Now it's like if somebody wants a job and they put their resume out there, they're gone in a day. I mean, yeah. everybody's looking and everybody's moving super fast. In fact, I have a sign in my office that says time kills all deals. <laughs> and what that means is that if you find somebody, if you're recruiting and you have a candidate that's very interesting to you and you, and you like them, you think they'd be a good fit in your organization. It's not like days of old where you could vet them out over the course of weeks, right? I mean, you have to move fast. You have to put them through the ringer in a couple of days, make a decision, present an offer. Otherwise, you'll lose them to your competition. So, Wayne, that's a great point. When you think about how, you know, everybody thinks, okay, let's post an ad, right? Let's put an ad on Indeed or LinkedIn or something along those lines. And, and those work and you could find some low hanging fruit, we, we say, but 70% of all job seekers, well, not job seekers, but just the talent pool is passive. And so what I mean by that is at any given point in the US, any given profession, only 30% of people are actively searching for a new job, meaning they got a resume out online or they're applying to ads, whatever the case may be. And so if you are simply posting an ad, to find somebody, you are marketing to those 30%. What about the other 70%, right? How do you get a hold of those folks? How do you attract those folks to be part of your organization? As you talk about like how to, that's the part that I think is the most important. If you could tap into those passive candidates, you could outpace your competition. Hmm. And so you do that in a lot of ways. I'll share a couple examples. You know, social media, there are folks that are probably listening to this, and this is a form of social media, right? Podcasting. Absolutely. Um, you know, some people are more involved than others, but it has become paramount, right? Like LinkedIn, if you're trying to tap into industry professionals that aren't actively looking, it's a goldmine. But the thing about all social media is that you get out of it what you put into it. And so if Wayne were out there in his previous years as an operator and looking on LinkedIn and posting things, something on LinkedIn about what he's hiring for, but he only has 20 connections, that's eh, not going to get you very far. But if Wayne works real hard to build up his connections and all of a sudden has 5,000 connections and posts something out there, well, then bam, all of a sudden the word's out. It's like a Christmas tree. It just spreads out. And so one of the tips I tell my team as recruiters is that you have to be active on social media. You have to be purposeful about what you're doing. You also can't be selfish. What I mean by that is that there's a lot of people out there that they just post, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this, do this, apply to this. They're not presenting any real value to professionals in the space. And so what my team sort of has this mentality of there's got to be a one-to-one or even a two-to-one ratio, meaning for everything you ask of somebody, you need to give something or maybe twice as much. And so we try to put out industry-related articles, produce white papers, share interesting things about the industry that someone else might find beneficial. If I share two articles or some good content, and then I only ask one thing, well, then all of a sudden people are more likely to look at what I'm posting and more likely to respond. So long as I've built that network, that's a tip I would share with people from a social media standpoint. Wayne, I think what's impressed me through the years is your network. 
And, you know, I'd love to have you talk about just the years and years of experience you've had building relationships. And it's amazing to me how you call on those relationships. And I think people can learn something from you in that you're not searching resumes online. When you go no. find, you're simply yeah. just leaning on this network. That's a really good point. That. You know, it's funny. We work with recruiters who do just that. They look at resumes and, oh, here's the fit. And a lot of times you and I look at, and it might be a fit on paper, but those relationships that you built over the years and you've been in the field with people, working with people, that's when you really know there's a fit. And you talk about this a lot, Eric, culture and fit. And you really dig into the culture component of an organization. But when you're working with somebody and you've got the network behind this, how many times have we got from our colleagues that say, hey, this person I worked with at XYZ and they were really good. They got things done and they were able to move the needle and they were able to, to make a change uh, happen. So that investment in the people that we've had before, those relationships that we've had before. And I think what's really key for us is we're, we're always recruiting. I mean, we're always recruiting. Mm -hmm. People come up to you and say, hey, and that's how I got to Symmetry, to be honest with you. I called Bob Simeone up and said, hey, I'm looking for my next gig. And that's what happened. And yeah. so a lot of our folks will say to us, hey, I'm looking for that next one. And it might not be tomorrow, but we might have something down the road, 30, 60, 90 days. And you go, gosh, Lisa was looking for that next gig. She's a perfect fit for this. And then what we do is, again, you've got that relationship. And then you've got that, you put the fit together. And it really keeps folks engaged and happy about making a move versus, yeah, I just need to make a move because of. And I think that's important too. And how do you really dig into the culture and fit, Eric? How do you really look at an organization and say, hey, that's a good fit for me or it's not a good fit for me? That, I mean, that's a, a really interesting point. So first off, I think, I mean, that's a loaded question. We could talk for hours <laughs> on that. Uh, yeah. We're going to get cut off before we get to the end of that. But I think the first thing to recognize is that our workforce is changing. And so there's statistics out there. There's data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. 75% of the workforce, the global workforce, is going to be millennials by the year 2025. And so, folks, that's two years away. Now, in any of your particular offices or whatnot, you might not have that sort of a, a setup of 75% millennials, but it's trending in that direction. As of 2020, it was already 50% of the global workforce. So it's trending in that direction. So I would ask you this. When you think about culture and fit, whether it's 2025 or 27 or whatever it is, right? At some point in the not-too-distant future, your office is going to look very different. Is the culture that you've been trying to build and put together, is it enticing to this millennial generation? Or is it a culture that fit really well for baby boomers and Generation X folks, right? And you have to think about that because right now we're in what's called an employee-driven market. Right? There's an employer-driven market and an employee-driven In an employee-driven market, there's way more jobs than there are employees. And so they can pick. They can pick what's going to be best for them. And so you have to produce a culture that's going to be attractive to the workforce. And the workforce is changing from a generational aspect. And so yeah. you have to sit down with your team, often who are not the millennial generation, but who right? Our baby boomers or, or Gen X folks and say, are we creating an environment that's interesting to these folks, right? Are we creating, do we have a mission? Do we have a culture that's exciting? Are we engaging this workforce? It's far different to engage a Gen X person 
than it is to engage a millennial. And by the way, you know, Generation Z is right behind that, right? And they're looking for something totally different. So everything from technology to what the mission of your organization is to the diversity components of the workforce now, it's so important to these other generations. And so that's really step one. When you think about how do you figure out what's going to be a fit, you have to look at yourself and say, who are we and what are we trying to be? You have to identify that, define it, and then go out and find a workforce that aligns with it. However, again, I just say, if you're designing a culture that fits really well for a bunch of baby boomers, there's not very many of those folks left in the workforce. So you're <laughs> limiting your talent pool. So as, as far as uh, you know, how do you figure out that culture to fit, that, that's step one, is trying to design a culture to fit that's going to be enticing to the market that you're trying to sell to. It's like marketing, right? It's like selling something. If you create a really terrible commercial that's not appealing to anybody, why would they buy it, right? right. It's that type of mentality when you're thinking about enticing someone to come work for you. And I thought about the, the other thing is along those lines, as far as how do you attract people to your organization or where you find them? Referrals. Wayne was just talking about the network he has. But I want everybody listening to think about the fact that like, if you're a top talent in the market, right? if you're a really great employee, you probably have other friends in the industry. You have people that you've socialized with or worked alongside for years or just come to know. And if you're a really good talent, you probably associate with other folks who are very good employees, very good professionals in this space, right? If you're a, if you're a bum and you're not a very good employee in the market, <laughs> you might have friends in the industry, but they might also be bums. You tend to align with the same level of people, right? And so what kind of referral program does your organization have? Because odds are your top performer, whether they're in sales, operations, clinical, whatever you name it, they probably are friends and friendly with other professionals in the space who are also top tier professionals. And so I ask organizations all the time, what kind of referral program have you put together? And they're pretty weak, it seems like. Right. A lot of times people say, hey, look, yeah, yeah, we give you 500 bucks. Nowadays, 500 bucks is, is not much, right? It's just not very enticing, but why not $5,000? If you more? bring on somebody that talented? Yeah. Damn. I mean, Wayne, did you use referral bonuses back in the day? I mean, I'm sure they were successful even we 10 did. years ago, right? We absolutely did. And, and again, we didn't have the budget above a 5,000, but we did. And it actually helped entice folks to say, hey, you know what? I could bring on somebody and get an extra little cash in my pocket. I'd rather yeah. pay people for bringing on good people. I've always felt that way. It's, it's a good thing things, organizations, you talk about culture and fit. And I, I've heard you talk about this too, total compensation. We were on a call the other day. This is an organization looking at itself said, our benefits suck. And they admitted it. And they admitted it and that we've got to make a change here to attract top talent. Because, you know, that total compensation package is really important for people to come on to. So do some self-evaluation of not only your pay scale, but what are you offering as benefits for folks? Is it remote activity? Is it to be able to manage appropriately from a different setting? So getting that creative with that job creation, I think is really important too. Yeah, compensation. So in the past three years, since COVID started, we've never seen compensation increase at the scale that it did. Over really? the past year. Now it has tapered off. And even there's, there's areas where it's pulled back just a hair, but it's not going to go back to where it was pre-COVID. No. Right? I mean, and, and this is, I'm speaking globally from the standpoint of I'm, I'm a recruiter, right? And what I'm seeing with my clients, as well as just 
being an operator of a business in symmetry and seeing what we've had to do with our own staff from a compensation mm-hmm. standpoint. So typically you think for a cost of inflation raises and whatnot, most organizations tend to go three to 5% a year, right? That's been average through the course yeah. of, of history, right? Well, we saw anywhere from eight to 12% increases year over year over year over the last three years in the industry. That's tremendous. That's just yeah. unbelievable yeah. growth. And it's because of demand, right? So you have so much more demand for talent compared to the supply that's out there that organizations just, they had to give raises that were totally outside the norm just to keep up with uh, the Joneses, if you will. And so, and to Wayne's point, how do you know if you're paying somebody the right pay, if that you're in the right market? That's a big job and you've got to commit to it, whether it's your HR team, if you're a large organization or if you're a smaller shop, somebody's got to take that bull by the horns and say, I'll own this. But compensation should be reviewed I mean, minimally annually, I encourage folks to, hey, look at what's going on, what the trends are in a market twice a year. You know, mm. Do some research. You could contact consultants. You could do some research online. There are salary surveys. You could actually pay to have your own surveys done if that's what you wanted to do. There's many ways that you could get to the data, but there's a lot of statistics and a lot of research done out there that says if you're within 5% of the market rate, so if you're somewhere in that 100 to 105% of what the market averages for a particular position, you can effectively eliminate compensation as a reason why someone would leave your organization. And that's huge because there's a lot that of reasons people leave, but, but don't let them leave for math, right? Just make sure you get the number <laughs> right. It's hard. You can't always get it right with every position, right? There are budgets, you know, you got to keep in mind, but right. compensation should not be a reason why someone's leaving. You know, what we're also seeing, folks are being a little creative with roles. Quality roles can be different than finance roles can be different. We're seeing some folks be very creative and they don't need a chief be in there, not full-time, but manage it a little bit remotely, but also a little bit, not so much full-time and be cost-effective. So Mm -hmm. example is a chief financial officer. What we've been able to do is provide the leader that has that capability but can do it for multiple organizations at a time. And it's much more cost effective for the organization to bring the talent on, but not have them full-time. They can tap into them on a weekly basis per month. And it's worked yeah. out well. I mean, that's, that's the gig economy now these days, right? I mean, people yeah. uh, used to be everybody's full-time. Why not? There's a huge gig economy out there. It's interesting that years ago, even I'm going to say, Wayne, when we first started working together, even like six, seven years ago, there wasn't as much openness to looking at gig workers, right? Somebody come in and and work for a period of time. But organizations have not only had to look at having people step in in temporary or, or interim type roles, but I think they've realized the value that someone with a real high level of expertise that can step into an organization, be a third set of eyes and execute on the initiatives that an organization is looking to do can bring to the overall company. And this is where we're thinking about like, Wayne and I always encouraging clients, how can you be creative mm-hmm. with your challenges that you have? I mean, yes, you're down a person. Okay, we can post ads, we can get referrals, we can do whatever we can to kind of fill this role. But, but how can you be creative in combining roles or leveraging a gig worker or reorganizing the organization to leverage multiple people's skill sets. These are the things that I think kind of astute workers or astute leaders in the industry are doing, right? 
this challenge that we're facing right now with workforce, well, two things. One, people think it was because of COVID. It wasn't. It's because <laughs> of demographics, right? This aging baby boomer generation that we're having to take care of now is just creating demand. And I listened to a guy speak at this staffing conference I was at last year, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it was really interesting. He goes, he, he had two graphs and then the line was going up on this one graph. And it was, says, here's the average lifespan from the 1960s through today. And it's just grown tremendously, right? It went from like 63 years of age to now it's like 77, 78 years average life expectancy for people. So he's like, we're getting really good at living longer, right? Yep. So that was half of it. Then he flashed up another graph and it was a line going down. And you know what that was? That was the birth rate in the US. And so he goes, we're getting really good at living longer and we're not getting good at having more babies. And so what that has <laughs> created with this is this inverse situation where there's just yeah. a lot more older folks and not as many young folks to, to take care of. And so I say that because this problem that we have right now is a long time coming and it's not going anywhere for a long time. I mean, I read a lot of research and data about when this workforce challenge is gonna kind of straighten out. And most people are saying this is a 10 to 15 year deal that we're going to have to live with and figure out. And so if you think about the challenges that you have right now with workforce, it's not going to get any better. Right? It's not going to get any better. So this is where you have to be creative. You have to right. think outside the box, be proactive and say, I'm not going to do it the same way and expect different results. You know, and we look at COVID was obviously a, a bad thing. I'm not going to pretend that it wasn't. But it also allowed us to look at things a little differently and look at workforce a little bit differently, uh, remote workforce and being able to be creative with your teams. And it's, it's actually helped us, I think, in moving that change, if you will, whereas, you know, the office space is not the same as it used to be. Yeah. Uh, working is not as bad as it used to be. Oh, you're working from home? A lot of folks are more efficient when they work from home. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we're a remote workforce, so we know all about it. That's I remember changed. right when COVID happened. I mean, if you would have asked me or one of any other people, right, everybody's in the same boat. Like, can you send your entire administrative team, building collections teams? Can can everybody just work from home from now on? We were all like, right. crazy? You know? mm -mm. Like, no. It's, it's worked out. It has. It has. Worked out. Um, and I think folks that learned and did well with it immediately are surviving and doing well. They figured it out, kind of. And those are the ones that are really doing well with their talent pool. No, everyone's, we hear challenges all the time. I mean, in every role, that's the key component. It's not each roles are separate from, I mean, we're seeing every role being challenged. Yeah. All organizations are challenged. The one interesting thing though about the remote workforce that I think we have to really pay attention to as leaders in this industry though, is... It's great because you attract a lot of talent and it's great to keep people there. And, and most of our staff are happier, right? They have, they're more engaged, have higher client or employee satisfaction. However, what you miss out on is that, that high touch environments where you can develop people. And, you know, when you're working alongside of someone five days a week and coaching them and mentoring them, it's, it's really easy to get them to really up their game and get to the next level. But we have to be cognizant of this younger generation who has entered this workforce when it was all remote and really never had a chance to work alongside professionals that they aspire to grow to like be like. And how are we still engaging them and being very high touch 
and developing them to be the next version of themselves, right? Growing beyond their job description. I just think that's a area that now everybody's all of a sudden opening their eyes. I think we've all come to terms with the fact that everybody's not going back to the office. Some folks are, but everybody's yeah. not, not at least not at the level they were in the past, but now people are, I was just at a conference last week and, and that's what a gentleman was telling me. He's like, how do I take this operator that's at the mid-level of their career and get them up to this highest level? How do I take an accountant and get them to grow to be a controller or whatever the case yeah. may be, right? But, no, you're but we're exactly not right. sitting next to each other every day. And that takes a lot of very uh, purposeful thought and dedication to do. I mean, we're seeing folks with teams in Zoom fatigue, right? It's oh my gosh. <laughs> not easy to be on camera the whole time, right? And yeah. people I'm not going on camera today. <laughs> yeah. And it's difficult. And you've got to be cognizant of that for your your folks. And they've got to be aware of uh, making sure that you're giving them the, the support that they need at, at certain times. Thank so, you. Like, well, this like, is a big topic. We can talk about this forever. Yeah, I was getting ready to say this is a big top. We'll share some more stories and, and have sort of a second round with this. It's all about workforce, but appreciate everybody listening in. Wayne and I are going to, going to get together and do this again real soon for you guys. Listen, subscribe to the podcast on whatever method that you listen to podcasts on and stay in touch for a lot of the subject matter experts here at Symmetry to share their thoughts on all that's going on in the industry here. So thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thank you.